In roller derby, holding space is an empowering, often intimidating act of strength and strategy for oneself and or teammates. Holding Space, the podcast, clears the floor for conversations that touch upon race, class, identity, and privilege to amplify stories, build community, and make more connections in the skate world. Expect lots of smart, dope skate people musing about life on and off eight wheels and silliness. Can't forget the silliness that you never knew you needed and won't be able to live without. This is Holding Space with Magical Wheelism. Welcome. Up, y'all it's time for tv club on this very first edition of tv club podcasts queen lucia tifa and purple reina have returned to discuss the netflix sensation cheer the regal ones and i unpacked why a documentary about an insular misunderstood sport practiced predominantly by women and queer identified athletes in search of structure and community felt like looking in the mirror to the online derby community. Warning, this is a spoiler-filled special, so if you haven't watched it, come back in six hours after you've finished your homework, you slacker. Peace. The first ever TV club with the first ever twice appearing guests uh, holding space of magical wheelism. I'm so excited. Welcome back, y'all. Thank you. Uh, Without further ado, I guess the Netflix docuseries that is like taken over the country by storm cheer which chronicles the i want to say like 2019 season of navarro community college in corsicana texas and this docuseries i feel like like no other series on tv like captured the imagination of derby twitter (laughs) so it felt so especially for a documentary on cheerleading of all things in a small town in Texas. It felt very, very relevant for some reason. And so I asked my fellow cheer enthusiasts to come on and talk about why and unpack why. (laughs) So let me stop blabbing and ask y'all a question. What made y'all watch this? Oh, hi. Uh, I think what initially made me watch was it was a recommendation through Netflix for me of things that they thought I might enjoy watching. So I'm like, okay, sure. So I I just was like, I'll check out one episode. And I was hooked. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What about you, Reina? Yeah, it was the same thing. I had it popped up as recommend that you watch this. And at first I was like, I I don't really know anything about this. I hadn't heard anything about it. And then within about a week is when I started hearing about it all over on Twitter and that was when I realized, oh, okay, I, I should probably start watching this then. <laughs> <laughs> so had either of y'all watched Last Chance You by any chance? No, I hadn't. No, okay. I haven't. No. It's by the same director, Greg Whiteley. And if y'all ever start watching it, it's about 
football players who were at a really high level. Like, I guess, I don't know what the, I forget if it's like D1, I guess, for in the NCAA. Like, basically, and then they had like a really bad incident happen, like assault or robbery or something. So basically, recruiters from these JUCOs, they call them junior universities in, in Mississippi, for instance, go around and like grab these like extremely talented athletes and give them their last shot. That's why it's called Last Chance U. And they play football in exchange for like, I guess, a free ride. But if you watch it, it's like the same sort of template as cheer. It's very, the, the visuals are very slow, very, they're like these tiny, tiny towns in the middle of nowhere and these incredibly dedicated athletes and very driven coaches. But I think those were a little more controversial because especially like the racial dynamics are like they're predominantly black athletes, whereas the football coaches are white coaches and Uh very imbalanced power structures. They're very interesting to watch, but I think that they definitely captured like lightning with cheer. But anyway, so how long did it take y'all to watch it to get through the the six episodes? (laughs) Oh so my god! Two days. That's I'm a lot of restraints. I'm, I'm a binger, but I did at least have to go to work. But yeah, so it took me two days. Yeah, yeah I think it was about two days. I got pretty much as the last episode was starting was when I realized it was the last episode, and that was when I was like, okay. I don't want to finish it today. I need to have something to look forward to to watch tomorrow. But yeah, I didn't realize that it was only going to be six. I think it's six, right? And yeah. so I was like, oh, wow, it's almost over. I watched five hours of this already today. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said it was tough realized that episode six was all I was going to get. I know, right? I I think I started watching it like when I got home from practice late one night and passed out. And then the next day I had to like finish it. (laughs) It was so good. Yeah. And it was just like, I can't stop watching this. I need to know what happens to Ladarius or what happens to (laughs) everyone. Lexi, I'm I'm still concerned with them. I'm I'm ashamed to say that I follow them on Instagram now just so I can know happening oh yeah I I follow at least half of them on Instagram right now yeah no I I really wasn't like expecting it to get so huge I was like all right Chrissy Teigen she is like in the know or whatever but seeing like did y'all see that Jerry was on the on the Oscars yes (laughs) I couldn't believe it I was like (laughs) I was like this is a lot but good on them, you know? Or when I saw it on like Saturday Night Live, that's, the, I feel like that was the tipping point for me. I was they like, made it. Right. made a skit. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, this is a thing. Yeah. It's, it's officially, it's, it's here. It's all right. Yeah, for sure. I was surprised at how long it took me to make the Derby connection with what I was watching. Like, I felt like I was just watching it as a voyeur, like, oh, look at this sport and the way they do things. And then it was like, oh, I'm episode four and a half. And here it is. So many similarities to roller derby. What exactly made that light bulb go off for you? I think the similarities that I recognize is just how people bring their damage or their baggage to this thing and you pour yourself into it because you want to have that thing that you're able to control. And it's like, 
my level of commitment to the sport is the thing I can control. You know, mm-hmm. you can't control whatever issues you had coming into the sport. You know, you can't control if you're going to get rostered or make mat, but I can control the effort that I put into it. And so that felt very similar to what we're dealing with. And even the way coaches make selections for teams felt very similar. Yeah. I wanted to ask you all about that, about the, well, yeah, the selection part, because I've never been behind that curtain. Right. Uh, so I think like even when you listen to Monica speak and she's talking about, hey, there are hundreds of thousands of people who try out for Navarro and they're very talented. And I'm looking for a particular type, a type to suit the team I need, a type with a certain personality that maybe is a people pleaser because... Uh-huh. I'm very hard on people and I don't need you to bring a certain attitude that will buck this system that I have. And I think that even in Derby, coaches look for similar things as well. It's like, this is a formula and we are a puzzle and I'm not looking to just plug anyone into this system. So there's like a template like of an athlete or like archetypes. Yeah, I think for certain teams, that's the same like in the NFL, in the MLB, they look for types based on what they have. What about you right now? How did the Derby Connection come into your viewing? Yeah, so some of the stuff that I think I had noticed right off the bat was like, yeah, how the people coming into that sport had either like this need for structure or a need for community. And I feel like I've seen both of those kinds of people in roller derby. It seems to be very rarely like just that you're you're both of those and I recognized not necessarily myself but from a lot of other people that need for structure and how sometimes like that need for structure that's like what causes you or that that's what motivates you to keep pushing your body harder and harder in these ways that are um, dangerous sometimes <laughs> unsustainable and dangerous yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, the, the connection to Derby happens in episode one. Like mm-hmm. when they had the, the, the sort of historian person talk about how it started as this sideline, just this kind of hobby that wasn't really, that was kind of really insular and, you know, just, but it really requires all of this athletics and has become like its own thing and extremely popular within a certain community. And, I, I felt like I was listening to the, the story of roller derby <laughs> practiced right. by women, you know, mm-hmm. it felt very, very similar to me. And then when they started going into all of the sort of the types of injuries that they would sustain was also like, it was the concussions and the, the ankles and the, the tears also felt sadly very <laughs> familiar. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times when you're watching a show, I guess it, t- it took a minute for the light bulb to go off on for me, I think just because it's like I'm never watching a documentary like that looking to find a similarity with roller derby. So it's just like I was watching it thinking, oh man, you know, the struggles of certain people. And then all of a sudden it was just like, oh my God, this is my life. And these are the teams that I played on. Who did you identify with or who would it, who made you say this is my life? Well, when I say this is my life, not like I'm identifying with a particular person, huh. but I think if I have to identify with anyone, I'd probably identify with Lexi, which is playing a sport or growing up playing a sport where it's like you don't necessarily you can't necessarily afford to play the sport but if you can bring enough talent to the sport you can kind of overcome cost by that and then it becomes your way to stay out of trouble you know it's Uh the way your parents try to motivate you to stay out of trouble it's like you're good at this thing and you need to focus on this thing and keep your head on that 
And that's what it's about. It's beyond just, I want to cheer. It's, it's my lifeline to something else. Yeah. So I, I can see Lexi definitely was who I thought of when you mentioned structure, the need for structure. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. She, that way to channel that aggression and all of that, whatever she was going through came through. Whereas I felt like, I felt like Morgan kind of was that people pleaser type, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not to take anything away from her too, because like she was so determined. And so I think she also, in a way, it had suffered from like a little bit of imposter syndrome. It didn't seem until like she got that validation from Monica that she was was able to really like get with it and like hit the zero and, then, and do all the things. And I think right. that's part of the structure too, right? Was like being at a point in her life where she grew up where her dad was so absent that, hey, Monica's saying, hey, you have a place here and these are the things I require of you. It's just a regimented system that was put into place that she didn't have as a teenager. And it yeah. all kind of manifests differently for each of them, but it all kind of comes to you were lacking something and now I've created this structure for you. I found myself also asking how the producers went about choosing the stories that they highlighted to mm, you know yeah. and what they wanted us to gather from them i mean they were very compelling stories for sure but i just i wondered what was behind that process how did that strike y'all yeah i was thinking about that a lot too because it was like yeah there's like this kind of shared experience of trauma or traumatic kind of upbringings or things like specific things that happen again with the exception of Gabby really but I think that especially when I watched it the second time then I found myself wondering about the other people who they didn't focus on enough and thinking Mm -hmm. like is it because their stories just didn't fit in with that pattern once they had found this pattern of okay this is maybe the story that we want to focus on and these other folks didn't really have that same story. Although I feel like there's probably other stories that are just as interesting. It just didn't fit into that, what they were trying to address. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found Gabby's story to be pretty tragic as well. It's yeah. like you were this talented cheerleader as a child and then you started on YouTube and it was like, once your parents saw that you could be, we could monetize this thing, Mm -hmm. then it became you're our breadwinner. We're going to build our businesses around your brand. And it's like, she never really, and when we watched her episodes, it was kind of like, we never really got to see her be a kid or even focus on school with the priorities they wanted her to like fly here, fly here. Make sure you're taking photographs that we can upload to the Instagram. It's like, and you can see that even in roller derby. It's like, once this becomes your business, the way you have to approach it is very different Mm -hmm. than when you're just here looking for structure or looking for community. I think that the whole influencer and YouTube celebrity aspect was something so of today that I don't, you know, I mean, I know we've always had like show business parents, but what's the equivalent in the past for that? You know, like that just is so interesting. That's so weird and interesting to me at once because yeah here she was she was gonna and remember when she helped Lexi in the library like she was they showed her these moments and like she was a kid and trying to be a kid but she just had all of these extraneous adults and responsibilities on her it was so so, it was like that one that one point where we saw where her parents were talking to her I guess they were unpacking for her and she's talking about how she's tired and they're kind of like so are you going to California or what are you doing she was like horse too. Like it was like <laughs> so tired. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I or was so bad for her. Yeah. I know. 
Yeah, no. And when she was like, I don't know how much of my body, how long my body's going to be able to do this, for, you mm-hmm. know, how much longer, like. Such a derby yeah. statement, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. too. That too. But you know what derby, you know what's very different with from cheerleading and derby is that cheerleading has this entire pipeline that derby doesn't have, right? right. Derby exactly. prides itself on being so DIY and it is to a certain extent and in comparison to professional cheerleading. But I was just thinking, I was like, what would it be like to have gyms where, you know, children, kids like train to be derby players, private sort of gymnasiums the way that they had, you know, like all-star mm-hmm. cheer clubs. Uh-huh. That doesn't exist in Derby, really, does it? I don't know. It did make me start thinking, though, about like, you know, junior skaters that have been skating for like this huge chunk of their life now and are now, you know, have aged up. I feel like that could be comparable because now you are having people who have been on skates before they even turn 18 for like 10 years already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think of like approximate derby equivalent, I guess a Lauren Much maybe would be the closest, right? With endorsements and a celebrity in her own might, yeah, Mm -hmm. coaching and what have you. But definitely there aren't as many I don't know. I found that interesting. And then, of course, the difference between Wooftada and Varsity Brands is stark. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize it afterward, but they're they're owned by like, an investment firm, like a huge investment firm called Bain Capital, and they were they keep like getting purchased by other sort of conglomerates, and it's so it's like night and day. It almost like felt like a cautionary tale of what. <laughs> yeah, like don't let this happen. <laughs> it felt like the alternate 1985 from Back to the Future. You know? <laughs> Bizarro biff to the FTDA's normal. Yeah, that's always been my thing of like when people get into that debate about we need to go to the Olympics. I'm like, do you really know what comes with that? Oh, yeah. Like you want a thing, but once something becomes profitable to that point, it isn't the thing that you love. It's something else. Now it's a money machine and it operates differently. It's mm-hmm. a lot it's people it's a lot of people with their hands out and a lot of like yeah. boards with directors to to account for with bottom lines and oh, yeah. oof is yeah, once you ugly. once you become the way that someone eats, the way you we approach it is completely different. Big time. Yeah. Not a, hey, I'm mad, I'm going to leave. It's like you are responsible to get people fed. And so therefore this operates differently. No, yeah. And, and I'm kind of a little concerned too, because like I, I know that a lot of the, well, I think that Jerry's got, Jerry got an agent or like signed with yeah. an agent. Yeah. I mean, that's a little different because I think the agent has to work for him and get him deals and then gets a percentage of that. But it's always like, oh, it's wow. Yeah. I started thinking about that because I mean, the show does goes to a lot of lengths to repeatedly remind you that they are right now at the top of their game. And like what comes next is it can't be anything actually associated with like they're not going to be professionally cheerleading. And so when I'm watching it, I was like, well, thinking about what what is going to come next and now seeing that there are already things happening next, but kind of that that worry now of like, well, how long is this going to last for them? This pocket moment of fame. Mm-hmm. It's 15 so minutes, yeah. <laughs> as they say. <laughs> Sorry? I said that it's so fleeting how quickly this fame for them is going to come and go. So I'm glad to see that they have realized, hey, you need to get an agent. You need to like move quickly. 
because mm-hmm. it's too, it, just as much as the crowd loves you today, they'll be on to the next thing tomorrow. You know, a cat, you know, falling off of a counter will be the next thing. Big time. So it's like you have to go ahead, capitalize, get an agent, monetize while you can, because once it's over, it's over. It's an attention economy for sure. And also they grow out of it, right? Like they can't do that forever. Their bodies just really can't. Did y'all hear that they've, they're currently filming a season two? No, I didn't know this. Yeah, which is blowing my mind because it gives me like Jersey Shore vibes. <laughs> like, it reminds me of like when you, I don't know if y'all watched Jersey Shore, but like the first season is like something completely different than like the rest of the show because then they become self-aware. and Exactly. Yeah, part of, the, part of the sensation I think is them not knowing what to expect themselves mm-hmm. and the audience not knowing. But it's like once they're aware, oh, they love us, Jersey Jersey Shore number two was just not the same as number one. <laughs> no. Yeah, nothing. it's not going to be that same, like, unfiltered. <laughs> Absolutely. Because then it becomes, it stops becoming like a docu-series and it becomes just a series series. Because yeah. and it's also, I think it's very kind of contrived because we left it with Jerry was going to Louisville, Darius was doing something else, and, you know. Well, uh, left, yeah. yeah. Prior, prior to the airing, they didn't know how the director would cut it or Mm -hmm. how they would be perceived based on how it was cut. So I didn't get, you know, as a person who participated, you didn't get to see it first. You had to wait to see how did the director put it together? And then how did the world respond to my, you know, my cut? Mm -hmm. Okay. Jerry's the nice guy. Ladarius is the talented, arrogant one. And Lexi is the troubled one. So it's like their characters have already been written Mm -hmm. and they'll just play into that for season two. Right. Yeah. No. And like, I think Sherbs is gone. And you know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> so like we don't know where Alex Buhis is. He he may need to save the day again. Where is he? Like, <laughs> I so bad. Oh, Poor Titi's gonna get abused. Where's Titi? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of TT and like Monica, that was also really painful to watch that whole scene of like Monica making that poor young man work because he, you know, injured his back and she kind of was like trying to teach him a lesson. Have y'all ever had any sort of experience in in sports that were similar or or what y'all think of that? In high school, when I ran track, you know, you have coaches that would tell you you'd, you'd fall and they say, hey, are you hurt or are you injured? And trying to get you to differentiate between what's truly hurt feelings or what's truly, you know, a a sprained ankle or what have you. So, yeah, when I was watching TT, I was like, wow, she's really driving this thing home because he was prioritizing his other cheer responsibilities. So it was tough to watch for sure. Yeah, Yeah. that was hard because, I mean, I've never had that kind of experience, even when I played sports in high school of a coach kind of, you know, making you work through the pain. I've definitely watched individuals choose to do that and then have coaches kind of pretend that they don't notice how much that person's in pain. <laughs> or or like support it with like, you yeah. know, by, by calling it mental toughness or, you know. Yeah, like, oh, you're being so strong right now. And really you're thinking that person probably shouldn't be skating right now. Right, that's not absolutely <laughs> not okay. I think the DT example is almost where we diverge. Like huh. in Derby, it's like, I paid to do this and I'm hurt and I'm stopping. Mm-hmm. Whereas 
she's dangling, you know, scholarships over people's heads and housing. So you're going to do the thing I said, because your livelihood as a student, you know, I hold that in my hand. Which yeah. goes back to what you said earlier about when people's meal ticket is yeah. compromised. It's a whole mm-hmm. different story, right? Yeah. Uh Yeah, yeah, that's true. It it was really hard to watch. And what did y'all think about Monica as a coach? Well, I was thinking about this because I had, I read an article like a couple weeks ago that was talking specifically about that and how Monica is like really toxic and they were focusing on that specific moment. And I was thinking about like, is it Monica or is it, you know, because at first I was like, I don't know, I feel like in a lot of other sports where it's male athletes and male coaches, that kind of thing probably happens pretty frequently. And so then I thought, well, is is it fair to say that she's being toxic? But I feel like she definitely has this responsibility. Like I'm thinking about the ways that you can kind of end up holding some kind of sway or power over others because you had been that support or helping hand at like the right time for that person. And so then they're like, well, I will do anything for Monica. I'll be, I'll do anything for Monica. And like, I just kept wondering like how aware of that she is. And again, it's hard to tell in a documentary in the way that, you know, editing is a thing, but yeah, like I, I found myself thinking that where it's like, she, she has such a sway over them. And then at what point is it just her, you know, she's a tough coach. And then she has these times where she has to help them. I'm not quite sure how I feel about Monica. Yeah. I, I feel like Monica is a tough coach, but then I also had to question how much of this is because she's a woman that people are so critical of her. I think in other sports, you have Nick Saban, you got Bill Belichick, you got Phil Jackson, and people just say, these are some of the greatest coaches of all time in the NBA and the NFL, you know, at the college level. And people don't call them toxic. You know, they're described as, you know, winners. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's almost like there's an expectation around, and and it's on a subconscious level that as women, we should be nurturing Mm -hmm. and and it should end with the nurturing and it should not be punitive because people make mistakes. Even if you, you know, laid a hard line on this is what you must do to be on this team. Mm -hmm. I guess I was curious or I found it interesting that I didn't see those same criticisms made against male coaches in other sports where they're at that level. Exactly. I mean, I agree and disagree and it could be just me. I own like television prowess because <laughs> like I've watched these last chance you series and I've definitely seen the criticisms of these coaches and they definitely are congratulated because they tend to win but I also question their practices not too long ago I don't know if y'all saw it on Netflix but the documentary about Aaron Hernandez that Patriots yeah. player oh, who, yeah I watched it yeah and I think that they definitely tried to criticize coaching for mm-hmm. their their roles and his his downfall basically and his illness so i think i've seen some of it but for sure like women definitely get the brunt of it in addition to that i think it's different because in roller derby a lot of the teams that are put together are just based on you live in that city so you have to go along with whatever your city's coach does but Mm -hmm. in those sports 
people are seeking her out, yeah. right? So you know that she's known to be this tough coach. Yeah, it's a no, though, Queen, because she's her. from Corsicana, you know? Right, but I'm saying because they have won so much, mm-hmm. people are seeking her her school out, and they know oh, that that's she's true. Cool. You mean like students? Yeah, yeah. parents. Students. Yeah. You know, it's not a surprise to you. It's not like I live in Corsicana, and this is the only school I can go to. People are applying to her school from all over just yeah. based on the trophy. And so it very, that's the, a, a thing that's very different from roller derby in that, you know, there are people who will move for roller derby but the majority of skaters it's like this is the city i live in and these are the teams that are available for me to choose from so it's like you're actually choosing to go and be coached by this person who's known to be hard or difficult yeah versus it's just like oh you know we selected a coach for the 2020 season that some people don't care for and i would prefer someone else yeah you can't really do anything about it yeah. But also correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I don't think that there is such a prestige to coaching in roller derby. Like, I don't think that the there is that sort of fame or celebrity, I should say. Right? Like, I mean, not prestige. I should say more like celebrity. Like, I can't name the, the coaches of the different D1 leagues right now off the top of my head. I can name, like, their stars, standout players and what have you, but not the coaching. Yeah. So I think that differs, too. And yeah, because we don't build programs around coaches True. in roller derby, right? So it's like it's not like you're like I gotta play for so and so. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's also because we tend to coach by committee, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. it's a committee that that designates all the coaching for the various teams. It's not the various coaches that designate the the committees like that exactly. like you know their plan strategy what have you yeah. that's also a different um aspect i'd say and consensus building i think there there might be more consensus building in roller derby than at these than at these schools and in these programs right reina have you been a captain i definitely know you've been a captain queen can you guys speak to the difference in terms of like the role captains play in roller derby versus like the leadership in cheer that we saw Oh, yeah. Well, I'm a captain now. And I kind of got like thrust into that position. Like at first I was like, I don't know if I want to be a captain. And then I ended up being a captain. So congratulations, you're a captain. (laughs) (laughs) Here you are. Um, Yeah, it's, it's definitely mm, like I'm the captain for my home team and we don't have a coach. So I end up kind of by default being the coach. And that is a very hard position to be in because I feel like normally it's good to have a captain and a coach because those two people are like kind of checks against each other. But like being the captain and the coach is a a lot of power, concentrated power (laughs) or responsibility. It's like, it's like extra responsibility and then extra concentrated power where you're like, I don't know if I should be doing both of these things necessarily. Yeah. Um, But what I was thinking about is like, you know, Monica is this huge presence, but like there is still a team around her. Like for the most part, her assistant coaches did seem to be also have the same feelings about Monica where like they really admire her. And I don't think that they would really push back against her too much, but I feel like some of like the elastic, like the athletic trainers were more kind of those checks of like, actually you are injured and you can't play even if Monica told you you can. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I think my captain experience is very different because it, in cheer, uh, to be a captain is just to be you to model the behaviors that Monica wants to see. Whereas normally captains in roller derby are expected to be more involved. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're not doing lineups, but you're contributing to the leadership board and having that conversation. Whereas I don't think that the captains in cheer are contributing to any decisions that Monica and the staff are making. Yeah. She definitely leans on her like star uh, cheerleaders. Like I would see her pull, you know, Ladarius aside and get his input and stuff. So I don't know if he was like formally a captain, but I feel like she definitely got the pulse from folks that she felt were like, I don't want to say her faves, but definitely, you know, the the more technically advanced ones. Of the yeah. Group. I wanted to also backtrack a little and talk about what did y'all think about the kind of recruitment in terms of like the aesthetics? I know you said that we they definitely look for types in Roland Derby, but mm-hmm. I feel like there's also been discussion about the kind of look that Monica went for when putting together her team and how... Well, you definitely didn't see the diversity of bodies on the female side that you saw on the male side. So I didn't see any, I didn't see any Jerry body type on the lady side. So she definitely had a type she sought out for her flyers and her female identifying cheerleaders. Yeah. And they spoke about that there wasn't any diversity of color either on the female side. There was there was one Asian, you know, person that I remember seeing, but she I mean they did allude to that though when they talked about the scoring and what judges kind of expect to see. So it was it was a little bit more covert but I felt like she was seeking a particular type. Yeah, that was really interesting because she did kind of, you know, when she would talk about the scores and how somehow like that that look is relating to the scores. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that was something that I had definitely never thought about and <laughs> how that look directly correlates to the scoring in the sport. Like it, it kind of does. So much of it is like, you know, the way that the uniform that they're wearing and their hair and the bow, like all of that is part of this like presentation of like perfection mm-hmm. of according to one specific look, which is like thin and white. I'll go ahead and say the thing. I think we have some of that in roller derby. It's not as obvious. You know, mm-hmm. we do it through skills assessments, you know, you don't see a lot of diversity of size. You you see it a lot more in our sport than you do in other sports. But, mm-hmm. you know, there are skills assessments. I think there's a whole conversation on Twitter now about the 27 and 5 and how, yeah. you know, that could be perceived as discriminatory against some people. So every, every I think every sport deals with it in different ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. I took some notes. I felt like Monica tended to, her 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 flyers and her top girls were, were definitely long-haired conventionally beautiful small frames and ethnically ambiguous like mm-hmm. and then when and then it was really weird because when they played like well when they when they had like actual competitions the whole like shushing up at their look was like this really interesting melange of texas with like the big puff and but also kind of like maxim magazine like a sex appeal or something or like you know what i mean like that kind of yeah. like it was really it, but, but these are also like 18 19 year old girls or like or like young women so it, it was really like weird kind of trying to be sexy but also cutesy <laughs> in like a really southern way yeah, yeah. sorry 
I said, there's a lot of pageantry still in cheerleading. Yes. Yes. yes, yes. That's what I thought about. Mm -hmm. You can see the through line for sure. And then the men, the men were gay men, or at least among the ones that were like the the titular, right? Mm -hmm. And black and white. And I think maybe some Latinx in there. And, but they were muscular, but you couldn't be too beefy. And then, and the way that they were able to kind of juggle masculinity and femininity, like they were, their uniforms weren't much to write about I don't, you know like they were very sort of plain still in that old sideline football style I'd say like they seem kind of dated the these uniforms for the guys the style at least the cut the design I don't know but then during practice they were able to kind of be fem it up if they wanted to and kind of play and, and that wasn't like looked down upon even though Monica herself considered herself to be conservative it was just a really interesting sort of way that roles were played with in their safe space exactly Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but I feel like, okay, so that was a little just side note that I had as far as like, but th- going back to Monica, I can't, I, I gotta think that if she has all of these like athletes from all these alum come back to her, I think that she, she can't be that terrible. Right. Like I, I think, or I don't know. Yeah. That's my hunch. Yeah. I think, think people, I think people watch it and because we're connecting with the athletes, because we're the athletes as well, you, you're looking at Monica and you're like, oh, you could have handled that differently. Mm-hmm. But then it's also like, even after now when you're watching them do the circuit, they're very positively talking about Monica. Yeah. Even though the entire series, they know the things that she said in her confessionals and they're still like, yeah, my life was changed because this person let me come to their school and cheer. She was firm with them. And I feel like at that age, kids still need that. People, their brains are still forming really. Like, you need that kind of heavy hand too, especially if you haven't had it in the past. And I feel like some of them didn't, maybe. Yeah. Well, it's something that I thought about with, a lot with Monica too. And it was kind of like what you had mentioned earlier about yeah, this expectation to be nurturing. You know, her job is to be the coach. And she has this massive pressure of after winning and winning and winning to keep winning. And I feel like thinking about how much as a coach like that you want to know about what's going on personally with people and finding where's that boundary and blurring that boundary like how far over it do you want to go like how far do you still sometimes have to be removed in order to have that authority role of the coach yeah no and maybe some of it are just also her traits but I feel like I I also love the music in this not that that's not that that stupid song because that song gets in your head forever oh, yeah. that, like <laughs> <laughs> the pew pew chicken smells like ugh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but no but like I think the last song was like something about a Texas ice queen I was like where did they get that song but it's perfect <laughs> the soundtrack of this and the, just all of the visuals of this documentary beautiful but yeah. um, she, she she reminded me of, of Anna Wintour you know like yeah. this like <laughs> exceptional totally. like extremely like brilliant sort of leader that is also very icy and no one really in entirely knows their ways or how they're thinking or like how they do what they do but but they're so successful and they're yeah. so they're clearly they were put on earth to do what they do um, <laughs> like that's what mom reminded me of yeah final question it's a little okay. bit of a fun question <laughs> I think it was Lena Dunham so it was like her zodiac and like use the cheer kids and so basically it's like using 
one of like the the stars as your sign, your rising and your moon. So I'll start to give y'all a, a minute or so to like think okay. about it. So I decided that Jerry is my sign, Monica is my moon, and Ladarius is my rising. And if you're not familiar with astrology, basically like your sign is just kind of like the entire sort of package. Your moon is your insides, like your, you know, your inner voice, your inner monologue, how your brain works, and your rising is the external personality and face that you give the world and so that's why I say that Jerry is my sign Monica is my moon and Latarius is my rising what are y'all who who are (laughs) y'all's astrology your cheer astrology oh my gosh okay let me think about this I'm going to say Monica is my sign. Pretty tough. Wow. And you can use them again. You don't have to like, you can be a triple Monica if that's, that's how you feel. <laughs> um, maybe Ladarius is my rising because I think there are things about me in my past I don't share. And so hmm. you know, there's things there that, you know, you don't let come to the surface or share with others. Mm-hmm. Oh, my moon. That's supposed to be my inner monologue, right? Your my insides. Moon. Yeah. Like the, your, your inner monologues, your inner thoughts, the way you process things, your processes. Uh, I'm going to say Monica again. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can see that. Cool. What about you, Dana? Oh my gosh. I feel like, yeah, I, Ladarius would maybe be, would definitely be my moon, mm, maybe my rising. And I, I, and that's just based on like, I mean, I even wrote down that like one of the biggest things I related to Ladarius from a sports perspective was that frustration of like when others aren't giving their all and managing it's my expectations versus, versus others' expectations, especially in Derby. It's something that I, I definitely related to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then which one was rising again that's, it's like your that's how the world to use it's like your external face like how people you know see you oh yeah um they probably <laughs> see me as like mm, probably like a gabby because <laughs> yeah. i feel like gabby seems like she has it all together you know yeah so like I definitely wouldn't feel that way. But I think that's how others would probably see. You said Ladarius is your sign. Gabby is your rising. Mm -hmm. And who's your moon? I think I... Still Ladarius. <laughs> okay. You're double Ladarius. Yeah. And can I say actually one, I'm sorry, I'm going to bring up one more point about Ladarius now that you mention him. And I thought that it was really interesting the way that people treated Ladarius, his trauma versus Jerry and oh, yeah. and Lexi and any of them. My cat is meowing. So that you may hear him. <laughs> I think that he was really misunderstood. I feel like sometimes people don't understand that when you are, traumatized or when you go through trauma it's fight or flight and I feel like for Ladarius it was fight and I feel like the others got more sympathy than mm. he did oh and, absolutely right Girl, you started start start I want to get you started <laughs> okay, so for me I feel like in roller derby in this space we are very loving and open to people that we feel present in a certain way uh-huh. and then for people who present in another way you feel like well you know They just need to get it together. We don't look at everyone as having their own plate of trauma and then serving based on how they 
respond to that trauma. We only want to treat people nicely if they present in the way we deem appropriate. So I struggle with that in the roller derby space. So Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, this person, so, you know, this person fell in a drill and she cried. So everybody, everybody clears the bench and we go check on the person who cried. Coddle her, like coddle them. This person fell in roller derby and they cursed. And it's like, F that person, they need to get their life together. And like, to me, it's all trauma, but it just manifested differently and I think that same understanding that you give to the one, you need to give to the other. And yeah. that doesn't happen normally in our space. And I've been around for a long time and not just played with Atlanta. I played with a lot of pickup teams and it's always the same. This is acceptable trauma manifestation. This is unacceptable trauma manifestation. Even if it's not being directed at someone, people don't respond positively to seeing someone manifest a certain way. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, I mean, and that was... That was one of the things that I definitely did connect with uh, with Ladarius. It's like, yeah, this that's not how you should be reacting to the situation. This over here is how you should be reacting. Like if something doesn't happen, you should just put on a smile and act like everything is okay. But it's like that's that's not how that's not how a lot of people are going to respond. And and one isn't more virtuous over the other. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I wonder if like the whole scene with his brother at the end, which was very touching for sure, didn't mm-hmm. happen. How people would I feel like people softened up because of that. That um, one scene so. saved his whole experience. <laughs> whole like storyline, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And that's really unfortunate. And I think that we, we see that in a lot of different ways in terms of like black children versus white children or children of other ethnicities. We see it in like the justice system, the way that like black children are, it's yeah. like a prison pipeline versus like getting rehab or therapy for, you know, and it's all trauma and it's all at the end of the day, it should be really treated a hundred percent in the same way in a, in a not impunitive way. Right. right? Uh-huh. And that's sort of like understanding a therapeutic way. Well, and I feel like, and even on the show, there was the, the point when, when Jerry even said, like, you know, I know that I help Ladarius kind of chill out a little bit better, mm-hmm. but Ladarius helps me. Like if I can have some of what he is giving me, that that is helping me. So it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm putting all of this in. It's like knowing that like there, you need both. You need both. And, and just watching that, I thought it was very poignant that it seemed like Jerry was the person who was most empathetic to Ladarius's situation because yeah. he had his own trauma and he just recognized that, okay, you're projecting and it's tied to some other stuff. Exactly. It's about me and it's, you know, and we'll move past this uh-huh. yeah. versus, you know, isolation, which never is going to help. But yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that, their dynamic. Yeah. And it's also like the labels, right? Like getting labeled like problematic or a problem child versus like someone who has need. We were encouraged to look at the the students in various different lights that way. And it was really yeah. unfortunate because I don't know, from my, from my vantage point, I could clearly tell that Ladarius is his, I don't even want to say issues because that's such a loaded word, but what he was going through and what he was bringing was definitely trauma that was manifesting in a certain type of way mm-hmm. and yeah here he was like it, it was also really interesting to see how he channeled it in, with his body and how what you know his dancing and his tumbling and all of that other stuff because he's he's amazing like, like i hope that this doesn't he isn't like 
seen as like a diva or in trouble or something yeah. um, in his future profession or whatever he does. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think he brings that confidence. And but I, it it feels like you get the most success out of him when you don't try to shut down who he is and just kind of talk him through. We need you. You need to show as a leader and blah blah blah. I think Monica also, we should give Monica her props because she knew how to do that with him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to know what you got and you got to meet them where they are versus yep. you got to get with me over here. Because she could have easily been like trying to like bunt, you know, heads with him and try to yeah, shout I, him or something. I honestly yeah. don't think she ever really seriously considered not playing him, but yeah. she wanted him to feel like I need you to to do this thing and show me that you're serious. She would be too competitive not to, like, put him in there. Yeah. <laughs> but she had to show him that he's not, like, a given. Exactly. That he could be replaced. Although, like, using Jerry to make that point was also kind of shady. It was. Yeah, yeah, I know. I felt bad for Jerry then. <laughs> like, even Jerry could replace you. Hey, that's not yeah. nice. Like, but what am I? <laughs> Okay. But I thought she, I felt like she was trying to use Jerry because he was modeling the behavior she wanted to see more of in Ladarius versus yeah, skill wise he's not where you are, but even he can get on the mat. It was just that was like, a generous that's a generous interpretation of it. <laughs> like, let's go with that. <laughs> what did you think, Reina? Yeah, it, I, I I never felt like his spot was actually threatened. Um, but I think it was that like um she could have been so in that sense of like you try even if you know you're not going to get on the mat like you have to try and if you know you're getting on the mat like either way for sure okay well i think that's i have a last question okay why should any i mean not that anyone at this point would who hasn't watched the series been listening <laughs> to a whole discussion of something they haven't seen but why would you say someone people should watch this or do you believe that people should watch this i'm gonna say that i think if you play roller derby you should watch it just because i think there are a lot of similarities and, and you can probably start to pick different people from the show and and say hey my this person from my my team is very similar to this. And I think it gives you some perspective about how to better uh, relate to your teammates. That's why I think it's important. Because sometimes when you're in the fishbowl, you can't understand how to operate or how to make moves. But watching it and kind of saying, oh, this is that teammate that I don't necessarily warm up to as much or I struggle with and understanding there's something there that you don't know. Yeah. And, you know, be open to approaching that relationship in a different way. Yeah, I like that. I, I would think that like yeah if I were to tell other other skaters to watch this it, it's kind of similar it's thinking about like you know we play this very like high risk high chance of injury full contact sport and I feel like a show like this can help you become more aware of how obligated we are to like hold each other in safety and be aware of what other people are bringing in and how that affects what they're doing every day on the track. A hundred percent agree. Thank you again, y'all. This was awesome. I really appreciate it. All right, folks, well, there you have it. Holding Space with Magical Wheelism is available on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. Help the pod grow by subscribing and sharing it with friends. Rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts also helps others find us. Follow the pod on Instagram at Holding Space with Magic Pod. 
intro and outro music is by Sun Searcher. The song is called Latin Rhythm. And the cover photo is by James Corbett of Epic Life Images. Find him at Epic Life Images on Instagram. See you next time. Bye. What's up, y'all? It's time for TV Club on this very first edition of TV Club. (laughs) It's time for TV. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's time for TV Club on this very first edition of TV Club. Why can't I say TV? (laughs) What's up, y'all? On this. (laughs) What's this? What's this? (laughs) Okay.